Welcome to Five Hole Fantasy Hockey. We're your hosts today, TJ Branson and Zach Vogel. Hey, hey, hey. Today we're going to be joined by Harmon Dial and Luke Lipinski for the Vancouver Canucks and the Arizona Coyotes, respectively. We're going to be doing the interview series. We're just going to continue that with the Vancouver Canucks and the Arizona Coyotes. Surprise on that one, I'm sure. But uh, plenty to be curious about, especially with either of these teams like Taylor Hall is he going to resign Tyler Toffoli is he going to resign Jacob Markstrom is he going to resign uh, there's plenty to be curious about all around so uh, this one's going to be a lot of fun and uh yeah buddy let's just get to it oh hey Harmon hey what's up buddy hey Tim how are you I'm good uh we're also joined with Zach here hey how are you doing buddy hey Zach how are you Going well. So we run this fantasy hockey podcast, and uh, basically we're like we're looking for like offensive numbers, save percentages, shot volume. That's the kind of thing that kind of perks us up, and that's something that we're going to be asking you about. That's kind of what we hope to gain here is a little extra perspective on Vancouver. We're both Flyers fans, so we're pretty far removed from the bubble, but we do have a couple uh, Vancouver Canucks fans. It doesn't seem like you guys have any just like moderate fans. Everybody is a diehard. It seems. Yeah, it's uh, especially the the Twitter sphere. It's very um, um, you're either on one camp or another. It seems like every topic, every sort of figure, whether you go from the general manager to uh, I, I mean, possible sort of like prospects. It's very it's very divisive. Um, you're on one camp or the other, and so it leads to very extreme narratives on on both sides of the <laughs> equation. Well, before we begin, I'm going to do a little intro here. Everybody that might be listening, we are joined with Harmon Dial. You guys can find him on Twitter at Harmon Dial 2, Canucks beat writer for the Athletic Vancouver. And Harmon, if there's anything else you're working on, man, feel free to plug away. Absolutely. Um, we'll do. Right now, it's uh, uh, pretty much just working on off-season content. Okay. Well, let's start off with, uh, as far as like an elephant in the room, it's mine at least. It's going to be the Toffoli extension, and later we'll get to the Markstrom extension as well. These are two things that are going to be paramount, I think, in in next year. And, and I think with the price that they paid for Tyler Toffoli, it's hard to really wrap my head around the fact that they would let him go. So what sense do you get? Where, where would you guess they land if they are going to offer him a, a contract? Yeah, that's that's the exact thought process that I had when uh, they initially made the trade. Was you you look at Vancouver and this is a team that's clearly uh, up and coming, a young squad with uh, elite talent at every position. But uh, just in in terms of surrounding that uh, talent with with enough depth, uh, there's still a long ways to go in sort of rounding out that core. And so realistically, this team. Uh, despite the Western Conference being so wide open, wasn't really in in a spot to realistically compete for a cup, right? And so this was sort of like a move to to try and guarantee uh, a spot in the playoffs. And and typically you don't usually see teams in in Vancouver shoes uh, pay such a premium price um, in terms of a second round pick and a top prospect in Tyler Madden. 
uh, for a pure rental. Um, and my sense of it right now is that is Tyler Toffoli definitely is a is a top priority in terms of uh, trying to re-sign him. Uh, I, I was thinking about what number he could possibly land in at as far as a, a possible extension, but uh, really the 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 difficult part here is there's just so much uncertainty uh given how the pandemic is going to affect the cap situation um and the fact that there is expected to be um in talking to uh, a few player agents and in league sources uh, a lot of down pressure uh, on some of these unrestricted free agents and so that effect will uh, begin at the top when it comes to the likes of Taylor Hall and then it'll have a trickle down effect uh on the likes of Toffoli so Really, in in normal circumstances, um, it's it's tough. Maybe, and and this is just a ballpark. I haven't looked exactly into uh, comparables yet, but um, in in normal circumstances, maybe somewhere between five and and five and a half million Mm -hmm. on on a five year deal. Um, Maybe something similar to uh, I think Gustav Nyquist got something uh, a little bit cheaper than that. But um, my guess, anyway, just off the top of my head, is. Um, that Toffoli would, in normal circumstances, slot in, into that range. But given, uh, again, how unique and unprecedented a, a situation that we are in right now, um, I, I think we could see a lot of UFAs uh, signing deals that um, are cheaper than they otherwise mm-hmm. would be able to command on the open market. You know, I, I think if Tyler Toffoli is the elephant in the room, as you say, TJ, <laughs> I think the the circus tent that the elephant is in oh, is boy. the cap space in general. They have they have a lot of people to sign. Like, like let's be one. honest, you talked about Markstrom, but there's Vertanen. Uh, TJ and I, before you came on, uh, we were we were kind of going over the cap situation and and just kind of kicking guys to the curb. Uh, see you <laughs> later, Kristanev, and and stuff like that. And and who we think is really important to sign. Who do you think is the most important people to keep on that team? I mean, I'm a big fan of players like Gaudet and McEwen. Absolutely, and, and Gaudet and McEwen are going to come cheap as well, uh, mm-hmm. especially Gaudet as a 3C. Um, he, I believe, is a 10.2 uh, C RFA, which essentially means he has very little uh, negotiating power, so he'll he'll be able to clock in at a very reasonable cap hit. He'll be back for sure, uh, as will McEwen because he'll come in close to league minimum. Uh, beyond that, uh, I think priority number one uh, should be Jacob Markstrom because uh, this is this is a player who. Uh, he papered over so many of Vancouver's defensive deficiencies. We're talking about a club that was uh, bottom five in terms of how permissive they were in allowing shots, uh, allowing quality chances. Uh, and it was really uh, Markstrom who who bailed the team out on many occasions. And, and you can make a reasonable argument that he was the team's MVP and oh, might sure. not show up in the raw save percentage uh, because, again, he was playing in front of a defense that was so porous. Uh, but if you look at a lot of the proprietary uh, data, you can see that once you account for the defense in front of him, uh, he stole a, he stole a lot of games. And uh, in, in my mind, he's the number one priority. Toffoli after that, um, I think, is certainly number two. Uh, 
it, it remains to be seen. I think it's going to be the, the Canucks are going to have to get a little bit creative in terms of manufacturing that that space. I think certainly if you're talking about the three big UFAs in, in Markstrom, Toffoli, Tanev, there's virtually no chance you're going to be able to bring all three back um, unless something really unforeseen happens. Uh, so really, I think Markstrom and Toffoli would be the top two priorities. After that, um, I think you're going to have to look at making some some difficult decisions. You may may have to try and buy out Brandon Sutter. You may have to give up an asset to get rid of uh, the last year of Sven Berchi's contract. Uh, you may have to try and ship out Jordy, Men and, Jordy Ben and his $2 million cap hit. So um, I think what happens after Markstrom is really going to be contingent on how much room can they create. Uh, and that's going to be the challenge for uh, Jim Benning and management. And, and particularly, I think Vertanen is an example of a player who uh, his future may very well be dependent on what happens with Toffoli because both those guys are uh, right wingers. And um, with the Canucks already having Besser uh, on their books as a, as a bona fide top six right winger. Once you lock into Foley, uh, Vertanen becomes, if you're going to pay him hypothetically somewhere around the $3 million range, uh, that's, that's that, that I wouldn't call that an expensive third, third liner, but you're paying full value, yeah. uh, for a player like Vertanen in that role. And, and the connections just aren't in a spot where they can afford, uh, to pay, like they're going to have to find market inefficiencies somewhere, and um, and and that's one spot where I think if you bring back to Foley, perhaps the team's in a position to try and pedal Vertanen for either a defenseman uh, or to recoup future assets. Mm. Uh, but really, the the clubs in the, the clubs in a bit of a tough spot here. There are a lot of moving parts, and um, I think a lot of it is still yet to be dictated by uh, where the cap uh, ceiling ultimately lands. Yeah, they're definitely going to need to dance around it. I think one thing we can all agree on is that dead money is really going to be hurting them. For sure. They have so much of it. Yeah, and, and some of it came down to the uh, Roberto Luongo uh, recapture penalty, which I'm pulling it up. Uh, $3 million for the next two years. That's big. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got a million. That's for in, Tanner right there. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then you've got uh, Ryan Spooner, who they bought out last year, Sven Berchi at 2.3 and then even just in their bottom six I mean they they're in they're in a real pickle as far as they've got a, a lot of uh inefficient uh cap allocation in, in terms of Jay Beagle at three million dollars that's uh, that's quite the hefty ticket for a fourth line center Brandon Sutter again he's he at this stage is uh, a bottom six forward and, and you're paying him north of four million dollars uh, Louis Erickson six million dollars yeah. so uh, just a ton of dead money all over the roster. And, and what that does is it puts the team in a spot where you have Elias Pettersson, you have Quinn Hughes on your e- on your ELC deals, you have JT Miller locked in at a very reasonable rate, as as you do Bo Horvat and Brock Besser. So really, um, it's ironic in that their best players on are, uh, by virtue <laughs> of just how young they are, they're on such great contracts, but the team just isn't able to take advantage of that. Uh, because of of some of the uh, rash spending that they uh, have have committed to in years past, so I want to talk about the the top six here, and just looking on daily faceoff, it's got Pearson on one of the top two lines. I know uh, there's a lot of controversy, especially on Twitter when when you call one line the top line. Some say it's the EP40 line, some say it's the Horvat line because that's the way it's on paper. But anyway, 
Uh, and this is, of course, assuming that Toffoli is still with the Canucks and that Pearson yep. is in the top six. So do you get the feeling that top six is going to be, as uh, Daily Faceoff is telling me, is Pearson, Horvat, Besser, Miller, Pedersen, and Toffoli. And again, Toffoli being there and Pearson staying in the top six. If Vertanen comes back too, a lot of moving parts, like you said, uh, do you, does he have an outside chance of bumping someone out? I think it's unlikely if, if Toffoli and Besser are both in the mix. Uh, the way I see it, really, the top six there, the only interchangeable parts that I see are uh, Toffoli and Besser. And there's been a lot of debate over who should play with Pedersen and who should play with Horvat. Uh, but undoubtedly, I see both of those guys um, in Vancouver's top six. Uh, even someone like Tanner Pearson, he quietly had a, a very strong year. And um, especially when you look at Vancouver's left-wing depth, uh, they don't have a ton of alternative options, so I actually think he's a relative lock uh, to be alongside Horvat uh, going into, obviously, the play-in series uh, and, of course, next season as well. Uh, and and as, as it pertains to Vertan, and the issue with him is he's had difficulties gaining the trust of the coaching staff mm. uh, just because of some of the defense defensive deficiencies in his game. Uh, a lot of the details just as far as his wall work, um, how he tracks players away from the puck. Uh, and, and because of that, Travis Green has been a little bit reluctant uh, to sort of deploy him in high leverage minutes, despite the offensive uh, acumen that he brings to the table. And it's because of that, uh, because of those sort of areas of weakness that uh, I don't see a path for, for him to realistically uh, grab a full-time top six role next season unless uh, unless there's some unforeseen trade or there's an injury. If there's if there's an injury in the top six, then absolutely I could see uh, Vertan and um, uh, jumping into the top six as he did for parts of this year when Brock Besser was uh, out of the lineup. Uh, but when the lineup's healthy, when you've got all your bodies back, uh, he, to me, is is more realistically going to be um, either on a third line or we've even seen him for uh, for some stretches uh, on, on the fourth line if, if he isn't able to uh, round out uh, his two-way game and, again, gain the coaching staff's trust. Hmm. You know, I, I want to move in kind of like a, a little bit of a different direction, and we've been spending a lot of time on young guys and prospects lately. And I love kind of like the young movement that, uh, that Vancouver is moving. in. I mean, Besser is pretty young, still Patterson. Then you have Quinn Hughes, who I think should win rookie of the year. I think he just, he did more for his team to win. He did so much for Vancouver. And I, I personally loved watching him. He is great with the puck. But it's not just him. I mean, they have some really good young guys in the pipeline. Specifically, I want to talk about, I'll let TJ cover the other guys, <laughs> but I want to talk about DiPietro. He's coming up behind Markstrom here. What are the chances you think he gets to play maybe this year, or do they go Thatcher Demko, and then DiPietro gets called up next year? Uh, I think it's unlikely that we see Di Pietro get um, get reps with the with a big club um, just in just in terms of the short term future, uh, just because Di Pietro uh, he just turned twenty one years old a few days ago, and um, as far as goaltenders go, uh, teams are usually very conservative in ensuring that they don't rush. 
their prospects too early. But I mean, you look at DiPietro's tra- uh, transition to the AHL, a 908 save percentage yeah. is the youngest goalie in the American League. That's very impressive, um, and good. it bodes yeah. well for yeah, it, it bodes really well for his future pro- uh, for his future sort of um, potential and. Uh, of course, the concern with him is his size. You're talking about a six foot goalie, and it's not. Um, it is possible for smaller goalies when you look at someone like UC Saros uh, or Anti Ranta to to make it as an impactful goalie in the NHL. Uh, but it is something where he's going to have to make some adjustments, and I get the sense that the team, uh, while they're bullish on Di Pietro. Um, I think they're going to be a bit conservative in managing his development, especially when you already have uh, two goaltenders in, in Markstrom and Demko that have played at a very high caliber uh, over the past sort of year and a half, ever since Demko uh, was called up um, midway through last season and, and ever since Markstrom really found his stride. So um, I don't think there's, uh, from management's perspective, any reason to try and expedite Di Pietro's development um, I think they're going to take it slow and steady with him. Are they going to bury him in the eight? A- I don't want to say bury him. That's a harsh word. But are they going to keep him in the AHL just until uh, Seattle's through so that he, he wouldn't be exposed? Uh, I don't um, I, I'd have to check um, the exact. Um, that's actually a good question as, as far as um, the like who's going to be. Um, exposed. Um, I, I think the real debate is going to be between just because they're two more known uh, commodities between Markstrom and Demko. Because um, you've got to remember, even with Demko, for a long time he's been billed um, as the goalie of the future ever since he was drafted in the second round of 2014. Broke um, many of Corey Schneider's records uh, at Boston College. Had very encouraging AHL numbers. Um, and, and really, he's just sort of waiting for his chance um, in Vancouver. So uh, I think that's going to be the more um, interesting sort of, um, I don't want to call it a debate, but the, the, the future outlook to watch is going to be between Markstrom um, and Demko. I get the sense that just because of Vancouver's um, need to sort of expedite their rebuild and, and win sooner rather than later that they're also that they're going to try and do their best to keep Markstrom in the fray um, and if you keep Markstrom um, then of course we'll see how the Seattle draft uh, unfolds but yeah. um, really I, I think after the Seattle expansion draft seeing the ramifications of well are both guys still around uh, that's when that's when the DPH discussion is really going to start to uh, pick up a little bit more but um, inevitably I can't really see uh, a long-term future say three years from now I don't see both Markstrom and Demko being with the club just because Demko at some point or or another is going to need to have that chance to take the reins as the, as the number one so they're going to have to make a decision at some point, and that would open up uh, a spot for, for Di Pietro uh, maybe a couple of years, two, three years down the road. I want to expand now on what Zach was saying with Quinn Hughes here. Uh, after that explosive rookie campaign, what sort of ceiling are we like realistically looking at? Is this something that we can expect year in, year out? Absolutely. I, sure. I, I don't see why not, because um, especially guys as young as Hughes is 20 years old, these types of these type of defensemen, they, they really only get better. And uh, you look at the campaign he was able to put 
put together. Obviously, uh, finishing fifth among all NHL defensemen and scoring with 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 fifty three points in sixty eight games, uh, that pops off the page. But really, it's been um, his adaptation to the league from a two way perspective um, and being someone that uh, that Green can rely on in all situations um, in high leverage minutes. That's what's really been. Uh, I would say the most impressive part of Hughes' campaign because we knew he had that dynamic offensive upside to run a power play, uh, be a difference maker, be a game breaker in that sense. But to see him back that up with two-way maturity and mm. of course there's room for him to grow in terms of his in-zone defense but even still you look at his ability to prevent chances um, and prevent shots against um, his defensive impact has been has been very strong and and uh, and through it all as a as an offensive defenseman he's made very little mistakes as far as uh, turnovers and all that so he's been very mature um, there's no reason why uh, he shouldn't uh, continue to sort of be in this range as a top five top 10 defenseman in the league as far as um his his scoring upside and um as his two-way game rounds up i i absolutely see uh, a number one defenseman and you saw travis green recognize that when alex edler went down with injury um i believe it was uh around mid-november uh he yeah he he gave he gave hughes the opportunity to play um against the opposition's best players in a shutdown role and that's a spot that he's uh, continue to log minutes and for for the rest of the season and and really I'd expect that to continue for the better part of uh, of the next decade as he sort of again rounds out his 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 full two a game. Um, I, I I really think the sky's the limit here for Hughes. I think that is super exciting. Mm-hmm. By the way, I was Team Hughes <laughs> all the way. I have been. Oh my god, that's I'm good sorry. to hear. I'm definitely Team Hughes as well. Yeah, I dude, I. TJ, uh, like I told you, I just think, uh, I don't know. I've seen them both play. I watch a lot of hockey. I just like his so, game, man. Harmon, from a fantasy perspective, I was a Kale McCarr owner and Zach was a Quinn Hughes owner. So obviously we kind of got this debate going and uh, it's just been kind of a narrative that's played out through the entire fantasy season, the whole hockey season. And uh, I've been labeled a Quinn or uh, a Kale McCarr uh, lover boy, so. I mean, from a fantasy perspective, I can see why um, you you might prefer Makar because he has, um, I'd say as far as raw offensive upside, I would give Makar the slight edge. I think where Hughes' value, where Hughes's value kind of perhaps uh, really hockey. shines is beyond what you see in, in the counting stats. It's, it's kind of his, his subtle ability to control play at even strength. Um, and impact the game and, and, and tilt the ice in, in his team's favor as, as much as he has. I think that's uh, narrowly exceeded uh, the type of two-way impact that Makar has brought to the table. Um, and that, of course, is something that um, wouldn't show up in, in most of your fantasy stats. That's fair enough. So one quick question, just because it's it's another player I've always had an affinity for, and it's just also his style of play. Michael Furland, how, how, kind of how is he doing yeah, that's a question that um, everyone in Vancouver is is asking, because um, for, for those that um, those that are listening that maybe aren't aware, um, he had a f- uh, he had a fight uh, against Kyle Clifford. I believe it was October thirtieth. Um, ended up with a concussion. Uh, came back. Um, I want to say either November or Dece- December after some lengthy layoff. Um, and, and in his first game back against the Leafs, only skated a, a few shifts, didn't feel right, left the game. 
um, post-concussion syndrome, uh, again, lengthy layoff, um, sort of worked his way back up. Uh, and and I, I believe, again, in his first conditioning, uh, in his first game in a conditioning stint with, uh, with the Utica Comets in the AHL, same sort of thing, um, few shifts and, and, and didn't feel right and, and uh, left the game. And again, still in that recovery phase. And uh, I, I mean, from all, all reports right now, he, he's at least skating um, and he is gearing up for a return. So that's, um, that, that's obviously good news. But beyond that, it's really tough to say um, when, he, when he's going to realistically be able to return because head injuries are such a... Uh, su- such a tricky thing to try and navigate around. And we've had two false starts now where Furland was cleared and then yeah. um, he had an immediate setback. So uh, it's really tough to say. I-, I-, I mean, it sounds like there is some optimism that uh, um, if need be, he could be ready for the playing series against Minnesota, but I doubt that he would actually draw in given all the time that he's missed and, um, I just think it, it'd be risky to drop him into uh, a playoff-like atmosphere after so many months of a layoff. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're all just kind of um, waiting. We're all obviously hoping and rooting for him, uh, but still a yeah, lot no of doubt. unknown um, in his recovery. So the last question I got for you, Harmon, is going to be on the prospects. The two that kind of top the list for me are Vasily Pakolzin and Nils Hoglander. As far as hype goes, I mean, they're top of the list in Vancouver I'd imagine across the board two questions about these guys uh when can we see them and what do you expect yeah so for pod Coles and he's going to return um he's going to return to the KHL for another year um with uh St. Petersburg uh ska and um and so after that uh after that uh is done I think we could realistically realistically see him sign um, and and just jump into the NHL immediately for the 2021-2022 uh, campaign. Um, and as far as how Pod Colson kind of projects, um, I'd say he's got um, his game first and foremost. Uh, he's got all the qualities that you like to see from sort of like this power two-way shutdown forward, right? Like he's um, a big uh, a big body who can drive the puck to the net. Uh, he's a good skater. Um, he, despite, it's not just sort of the, the raw size too, uh, raw size and speed too. It's, um, he's got the, he's got the good hands. Um, he can see the ice really well. Um, and, and more than anything, he's just someone who works his tail off away from the puck, an excellent puck, <laughs> excellent at hounding the puck down. Um, as far as offensive upside, that's been the question when I've watched him play in the KHL, because I see him more as, uh, a complimentary uh, top six piece um, if and when he does hit his offensive ceiling as opposed to like I don't think he's going to be in the Pedersen Besser type uh, of tier offensively where you're going to expect him to be uh, a pointy game type player um, in the NHL I think he's going to be someone who who more realistically could be sort of this 45 to 50 point score who who provides a, a ton of uh, shutdown value, uh, really good defensively, um, and, and can compl- and can sort of like complement and create space for a, a more dynamic play driver. So that's kind of how I see Pod Colson. And again, um, I think he'll step into the NHL um, for the 2021-2022 season. Um, and as far as um, Nils Hoglander is concerned, 
that that one's interesting. He just signed, um, I want to say, a couple months ago to uh, NELC. I think it's unlikely that he plays this year. Um, he may may be ready uh, the same year as uh, as Pod Coles. And again, 2021, 2022, I think more realistically, he might take one year longer than uh, Pod Coles. And just because with Hoglander and the type of style he plays, uh, he, he's someone who generates a lot of his offense from down low. Uh, and, and he's not, he's undersized, but he's not the type of player who typically creates a lot off the perimeter. Um, he's someone who's going to create uh, a lot of his offense from the slot um, in the hard areas of the ice. So it's going to take him, in my opinion, a little bit of time to adjust to the sort of bigger and, and stronger uh, players that uh, you often see in North American uh, hockey and, and, of course, the smaller rink size. So I think it may take him a little bit uh, longer to adapt to, to the North American game than someone like Pod Colson, who I think his strengths... Uh, suit the NHL very well, so uh, that's kind of kind of how I see uh, Hoglander. And uh, for him, uh, realistically, I think his ceiling is, is probably as a as a quality middle six forward. Right on, man. Well, I tell you what, Harmon, it was a lot of fun talking to you, man. So anybody that's going to be looking for you on Twitter, you guys can find Harmon on Twitter at Harmon Dial Two. You guys can read his work on the Athletic Vancouver. So one more time, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care, brother. Thank you for coming. All right, guys, that was Harmon Dial of The Athletic Vancouver. Next up, we got Luke Lipinski coming on to talk to us about the Arizona Coyotes. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode, uh, this interview, rather. And, uh, yeah, here you go. Enjoy. So let's get going. Everybody, we're joined with Luke Lipinski. You guys can find him on Twitter at Luke Lipinski, radio host for the Arizona Coyotes. And if there's anything else you want people to click on, let us know. And uh, it's free airtime, and I'll get it in the uh, the show notes, too. Uh, no, I think that's it. Follow cool. me on Twitter. I have a hockey podcast as well with a couple of the Coyotes writers, uh, The Natural Hat Trick. You can right check on. that out if you want to. There's, I guess there's uh, there's always room for more hockey, right? Yeah. <laughs> Even in this weird offseason, it's such a bizarre year. But anyway, so we are a fantasy hockey podcast. What we are most interested in is just points, you know, like uh, offensive counting stats and save percentages, that kind of thing. So what we're hoping to do here tonight is just pick your brain about some of the players that are on the team, might be on the team next year, and uh, that kind of thing. So I think maybe we'll start it off with Taylor Hall. Now, the Oats certainly have to dance around the cap a little bit to make it work, but what what's the scoop there? Do you think he's going to stay? What What are your feelings there? Boy, my feelings on this have changed a lot of times since they uh, <laughs> since they traded for him. They they definitely traded for him with the intention of keeping him long term. I think John Chica, at least locally, made that pretty clear that that was his uh, his intention. Uh, my thought all along has been Taylor Hall will stay if they make the playoffs. But then you know <laughs> everything it's got such weird. A weird and, one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I I don't even know if they really are in the playoffs or I, I don't know. I mean if. I don't think he's going to want to sign like a one-year deal. I know some people have thought maybe because of everything that's going on right now, he might be able to get more as a free agent a year from now. And so in that case, why not just stay with the Coyotes for one year? I think he wants a home. And I think the most important thing to him, just from talking to him, covering the team, and really I thought this before he even got here, is is winning and making the playoffs. So I think they do have a better chance than a lot of people outside this market maybe believe. But 
I'd say it's closer to like maybe 55, 45 right now. I think it does hinge on what happens in the next couple months. Yeah, it does seem like the Coyotes are on the up and up. And I think that is something that Taylor is looking for. I, I think, I mean, personally, I'd like to be a part of a turnaround. And maybe he feels the same way. Yeah, you know, he he was sort of supposed to be part of a turnaround in Edmonton. Then he, he kind of dragged New Jersey to the playoffs himself. Okay, so yeah. I do think the Coyotes are a very attractive destination for, for a player that is, you know, has his abilities, but I also can understand why he's maybe just wants to be on an established team at this point. Yeah, that's fair. Heard that song before, Well, and right? that's partially what I was going to say is it's not like he's the only good player. He is, they're, they're surrounded by a lot of good players, some good goaltending, good offensive players, and, and it's not like he's the only one. So I could see people possibly wanting to go there. It just seems like it, it never works out for some reason. Yeah, you know, I, I think you look around and there's a lot of guys with potential up front. And and I think, you know, only Taylor Hall will, will know this, I guess, after playing, what is he, he's played about 35 games as a Coyote right now and whatever they get here against Nashville and, and potentially beyond. Um, you know, as a player, you kind of know, hey, I, I work with this guy on the ice or, or I don't, uh, maybe even more so than what their stats have shown you. So I think he probably has a pretty good idea in the back of his mind. But I also do think, you know, you have to be realistic. A team like Colorado has money, and they could potentially yeah, put him uh-huh. up there with Nathan McKinnon or Miko Rountin or whoever, you know, Gabriel Landeskog, whoever gets bumped down a line. Uh, so <laughs> oh, that's certainly something to, to deal with. But with the Coyotes, you've got a real strong defense and real strong goaltending. So it's not like Hall has to go out there and put up three points every night for them to have success. Well, and I think one of those, like, players that you're talking about are, are is Christian Dvorak. Um, I think he's kind of really in the past – year year and a half mainly mainly last year i think really made a name for himself and made people kind of take a second look is he like solidified into that 1c role right now or what do you kind of see happening for him next year um, i would say for next year yeah he probably still is i mean the coyotes for a few years now have wanted to go out and and pick up a true number one center but good luck right i mean you, yeah. you're not gonna be able to trade for those guys 30 other teams you, too exactly right <laughs> uh you basically you have to draft those guys they're hopeful they have one in barrett hayton but even if he's uh if he becomes that guy he's probably not going to be their number one center next year so dvorak uh, they they feel comfortable with him filling that role just in the sense that He's a good 200-foot player, and again, as far as being a line mate of his, he'll go do the dirty work. He doesn't necessarily care about his stats, which maybe doesn't help you as much for fantasy hockey, but he'll make the guys like Taylor Hall around him. I don't know you make Taylor Hall better, but you give them opportunities to go out there and create. We saw it with him playing with uh, with Connor Garland this year. So uh, the Coyotes were, are comfortable with him as their number one center if they have to, but they've really tried to go down the path of, Let's have four legitimate number two centers if we can. And that's that's sort of what he is. He's a good number two. So you teed me up for Connor Garland, man. Still very young, just like Christian Dvorak, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, Dvorak's 24 and Garland might be 23, 22, something like that. Uh, but anyway, what's your what's your general idea of a ceiling for Connor Garland? Yeah, you know, Garland surprised a lot of people even here. And I think he, he maybe even surprised Rick Tockett and some of them within the organization because when he had 22 goals this year, but he's got 35 and 115 career games. And if you go look at his numbers in the AHL with Tucson, he wasn't scoring like that in Tucson. Now, mm. you know, he, he was as a junior, but that's obviously a pretty big jump. What he is and what he does, um, if you haven't seen him play before, you know, they have him listed at 5'8". He's not 5'8", but he plays like he's like 6'5". He goes right to the net. He had a game last year where he took a slap shot off the face and the puck oh, went boy. in the net. 
and he came back later <laughs> in the game with just a huge scar down the side of his face, and another shot went off like the side of his leg and into the net. Oh. He goes to the net. They don't have a lot of guys that do that consistently. And if you look at their head coach, Rick Tockett, you know, he appreciates a player like that. So that. I'm starting to believe that Connor Garland, you can pencil him in for 25 goals a year, and he's got 30 goal upside because he just he, he makes sure like nothing's going to deter him from going to the the tough areas on the ice. And and you know, you look and you say it's the NHL, everybody should go to those areas. Well, yeah, they should, but they really don't all go to those areas. So yeah. he's um I, I think he's gonna be a consistent goal producer. He's not gonna be a forty goal guy, but twenty five to thirty I think is is very real. I think another guy with huge upside is Clayton Keller and and we've all been I know at least I have and I'm sure you have too been just kind of waiting for that year where Clayton Keller brings it all together and just makes it happen. I mean, there was so much promise with the with the 65-point season that he had back in 17-18, but then really didn't follow it up with, with much. Do you think that that was the breakout and that was out of the norm, or can we see that happen again? Uh, I think we can see that happen again. I don't know. You know, there's people, I've talked to people around here that are like, oh, he's got 90-point upside. I, I haven't seen that uh, yet. I don't know about all that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I I can see 75, I believe you. You well, can sell me on 75, but I don't think you can sell me on 90. No, and and, I, and to be clear, I'm, I'm not one of those people, just because <laughs> I haven't seen the consistency yet. He's got skill. He's got, he's got a ton of skill. He's, a, he's just an excellent playmaker. But, you know, what Connor Garland does in the sense that he will go right to the net. And, and you know, Garland doesn't have much size, but neither does Keller. Uh, but Garland will go to the net. We haven't seen that consistently from Keller yet. So if you look back at that rookie year where he had 65 points, a lot of them came early in the year. He, he puts up his points in bunches. And so if we can get to the point where he puts together a consistent season, you know, I, I don't even think the Coyotes care what the total of points is necessarily. I mean, within reason. But if he puts up... 58 points but they're actually spread out over the six months of the season instead of all coming in like two months I think they'd almost take that to 64 or 65 points just because in a weird way a lot of their ceiling is tied to him because they're going to start paying him a lot of money next year I think he needs to I think he needs to learn how to score from range he that that's my number one qualm with with his offense is just scoring from range he can't seem to do it well, he, he does look to pass a lot, maybe to a fault sometimes. That's clearly his number one skill. But, you know, to your point, he, he's got to score goals. He's got to be at least a 20-goal scorer because he doesn't give you much defensively. And, and they knew that when they drafted him. So if, if you're, if you're going to say, if you're going to grade a hockey player on 25 different things or whatever, he's not giving you much defensively. So he's really got to produce offensively. Like, he, mm. he consistently needs to be at least a 60-point guy. So somebody that I am kind of a... Uh, one man show, one man cheerleading squad. I don't, I forget the 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 metaphor for it or whatever. But anyway, I'm a big fan of Nick Schmaltz, and uh, I kind of get a bunch of flag for it from Zach, who doesn't. He's not as big a fan of Nick Schmaltz, but whatever. Uh, not to throw you under the bus or anything, Zach. But Nick Schmaltz, he's a bit of a wild card. His ups and downs kind of go in flow with Clayton Keller too. Like they 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 have incredible hot streaks, and then they go on these very long uh, cold streaks as well. Is Nick Schmaltz going to be a 50 point guy forever? Uh, I, I, I am a little more intrigued by Schmaltz upside just because in terms of what we've seen with him, with the coyotes, he only got to play 17 games with them last season. Yeah. He was really good in those 17 games. And in fact, Clayton Keller was very good in those 17 games too. Cause those two were on the same line. Now, again, much like with Keller, you're giving up some defense. Schmaltz is probably a little bit better defensively at this point in his career, 
But uh, this season, 70 games, 45 points. The thing that's interesting about Schmaltz is he got hurt pretty bad last year. The start of this season, he looked like he was hurt. And then all of a sudden, like a couple games in, he completely flipped it around and became one of the Coyotes' more dynamic offensive weapons. Connor Garland ultimately passed him in that regard. But still, you know, when the season paused, Schmaltz actually did lead the team with 45 points. So I'm I'm still intrigued by his upside just because we've only seen 87 games with him as a Coyote. The next guy is Phil Kessel, and uh, just the hype that came with him from Pittsburgh, uh, it really fell off the map when he came to Arizona. Is is it an uh, age-related decline? Is he just completely cooked? What's going on with Phil Kessel here? Uh, he's, he's a tough one uh, this year. It was really, you know, I didn't expect, and I, I think, you know, knowledgeable hockey fans around the Valley didn't expect him to step in here and put up 34 points or 34 goals and 92 points like he did with Pittsburgh a couple of years or even 82 points like he did last season because he's not playing with Evgeny Malkin and he's not playing yeah. with Sidney Crosby on the power play. Um, but he he was the disappointment so far this year. I mean, I guess he could redeem himself here in the in the series against Nashville and potentially beyond, but um, he would tell you he was a disappointment. And it's hmm. tough because at the start of the year, he really was just getting unlucky. He was having shots that, that typically would go in, weren't going in. He was making brilliant passes that, honestly, I just think a lot of the guys on the Coyotes weren't totally ready for yet because they hadn't seen plays like that consistently. Uh, but then, you know, he just he uh, he trailed off a bit after that and – they need more from him. I, I don't think he's done, but he's obviously not the 35-plus goal guy that he was with Pittsburgh and Toronto. Yeah, it was like 41% of his points. I remember doing the math in Pittsburgh were from the power play, and I think, uh, I mean, not to throw stones or anything, but Pittsburgh's power play versus Arizona's power play, I mean, <laughs> kind of speaks for itself a little bit, I yeah. think. There's a difference. <laughs> so on defense, man, Oliver ekman Larson. every year us fantasy nerds kind of hope for that 55-point season that he tossed back in 15-16. Any chance he gets back there? I think he could get back there. Um, you know, he's had an up-and-down last couple years as well. He was one of those guys that I really feel like maybe more than anybody when uh, when Rick Tockett took over in, in the 2017-2018 season, everybody kind of had to, to to restart because there were so many new players, there were so many rookies, there were so many free agents or whatever that they signed, and Rick Tockett's system was completely different than Dave Tippett's was. And I think I think that showed with Oliver ekman Larson more than anybody else because number one defenseman, I mean, obviously his number one task is shutting down Alex Ovechkin when the Capitals come to town or Connor McDavid or, or whoever when they're playing Edmonton. So you know, he, he, took, he took heat more than probably anybody transitioning to a new system and he still put up 52 points last year but this year he certainly took a, a you know a hit in that regard he only had 38 points through 66 games yeah 55 points I definitely think is not only possible but, but they need that from him he used to yeah. be a much more offensive minded defenseman when Dave Tippett was the coach do you think it was like um I remember was it his mom passed do you think that weighed on him a little heavily yeah I mean that that certainly did and that you know when you look at that I mean I to me, I just throw that season out. You know, when we has mm. something like that personal going on off the ice, and yeah. the other thing about Oliver, you gotta remember, or you know, maybe it's not common knowledge outside of of you know Phoenix or whatever, but he he plays hurt a lot, and he's he's played through some some pretty big injuries in the past, and he just plays through them. And so I guess that's sort of the catch twenty two for an athlete, right? Like you either you play through the injury, and then people are like, oh, why aren't why aren't you as good this year? <laughs> or you don't play through the injury, and they're like, get back on the ice. <laughs> so yeah. he's um he's got you know. A lot of new responsibilities in the last couple of years, again, as the, the anchor of that power play, but also the captain of the team trying to take over for Shane Doan, playing for a new coach. And, you know, more than probably anybody except the goaltending, this team's going to go as far as Oliver Ekman-Larsen can take him. Hmm. So we started at mid-ice 
We went to the blue line. Now let's take a trip to the crease. And we have a problem here that is, I think most people would consider the best problem in hockey, <laughs> is having two really good goaltenders that are kind of battling it out. And, and right now you have Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta. For a while, I think we all thought it was it was just Ranta's, it was Ranta's job. He was the next guy coming after Mike Smith left, and then he kept getting hurt. And kind of Darcy Kemper just kind of snuck in there and just, well, a lot of people thought he was going to win the Vesna this year, or at least had a chance. What do you see going on down the road uh, having Kemper for two more years and Ronta with only one? Yeah, like you said, it's a great problem to have because you're right. You know, on on the show, we've gone from the forwards to defense to goaltending, but John Chica built this team goaltending out and then Hmm. defense and and then the forwards. And uh, Antiranta was certainly supposed to be the guy, big picture, when they, they made that trade with the Rangers a couple years ago. And he's he was really good. I mean, his his first year with the Coyotes, he would have been a Vezina candidate or candidate. And honestly, I think he probably should have been. They they knocked him for not playing quite a, enough games, but he was he was right there. And then Darcy Kemper comes along last year, steps in for an injured Ronta, and actually performs in a lot of ways better. So they came into this season with the thought of you know we got two goalies, we're just going to platoon them. They get along really well, which is a, a nice advantage the Coyotes have over maybe some other teams where both goalies, you know, obviously Kemper and Ronta both want to play every night, but they're very supportive of each other, and it, it's not an act. Um, I, I think at this point Kemper's the starter until proven otherwise. But you know he got hurt this year, and Ronta stepped in and. The problem is Ronta stepped in and got hurt. That's been the real problem with him throughout his career. It took him a while to get going. He finally did get going, and the Coyotes went on a bit of a run, and then Kemper came back. So it, it's we saw firsthand this season why it's important to have two good goalies in today's NHL, but there was a stretch where they were playing their number three goalie in Aiden Hill because both the number one and two were hurt. And I'll tell you what, I TJ even knows this. Like, I, I kind of like, I like Aiden Hill. I, I think that he he showed some promise but he obviously showed that he wasn't ready either. How far down the line do you think it is that we maybe see him? I mean, I I almost feel like he might need another two years, at least a seasoning, if not, if not more. Yeah, I think that's pretty much where they are. I don't, I don't, they didn't intend to play him at all this year. I mean, he's 24, but for a goalie, you know, for a goalie that that's still somewhat young. Uh, And, you know, like you said, you've got Ronta signed through next year and Kemper signed for two more years. I think they'd be fine if Aiden Hill was able to take over after that. They really like Ivan Prosvatov, who they also have uh, in the minors. He's a little bit younger. He's 21. So, I mean, they have really high expectations for him. But uh, goaltending, again, is it's probably the way a lot of teams try to build their teams. But, uh, you know, if you're Pittsburgh, you're Edmonton, you're Toronto, and you have those clear number one centers, then all of a sudden you build your team around scoring. The Coyotes don't have that guy. So they, they especially have tried to build around having four good goalies uh, in the system and you also have to prepare for whatever happens in that expansion draft with Seattle I mean if Aiden Hill really gets going and maybe he's somebody they end up wanting as I don't know their third or fourth string up there then, then maybe that changes things and that's why they have Prosvitov in the system as well do you think he's kind of the answer long term uh, Prosvitov or Hill Prosvitov I, I think that's how should I say this I think he has more upside but he's also got a lot more experience that he he needs to get you know Aiden okay. Hill Look, they didn't want to play Aiden Hill this year. They didn't want to play him last year, but he has stepped in and had some really nice games. And honestly, every time they bring him in, they're like, okay, not the team, but a lot of the fans are like, okay, well, you know, here we go with our number three goalie. He's performed pretty pretty admirably for being 
a guy that's supposed to still be in the AHL stepping in in a playoff race. If he's doing that now, they're pretty happy with Aiden Hill if if he's their guy in two years. Another thing that I think is kind of like really important coming up here, they've done all of this building. They've built, 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 and you'd like to have seen it kind of reaped a little more, but now they're up against the cap. They only have, what, $4 million next year for the cap. How in the world do you think that they are going to kind of traverse this? It seems like it's going to be hard, especially with having to, to sign some guys that you really might want to keep, like a Carl Soderberg. Um, how in the world are they going to keep Taylor Hall? Like, what in the world are they going to do with this cap? It, it's frustrating just looking at it. Yeah, and it's a position the Coyotes, quite honestly, haven't been in since they got to Phoenix. They really haven't been a, a cap team before. But, uh, you know, new ownership and and John Chayka making a point to keep the guys that he drafted has put them in this position, which, you know, for a lot of teams, it would be, like you said, very, very difficult to navigate and, and frustrating. But for, for this fan base, I mean, I think a lot of Coyotes fans are just happy to see that they are up against the cap and they're going to have to do some 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 creative maneuvering it obviously all starts with taylor hall um you know if if they're able to get him to come back then they're going to have to get even more creative but they're happy with that i guess the concern would be you'd have a lot of money tied up in wings as opposed to centers and i know that the coyotes chica specifically likes to spend his money on what he calls premium positions uh, but you'll make an exception for taylor hall certainly from there like you mentioned carl soderberg that's a guy that i think at the start of the season they were looking to just have for a year but he's been really productive for this team, and he's another guy that goes to the Nets. They don't they don't have a exactly. lot of them. We've talked he's about a few good. of them. He, if, if, he if he's somebody to help round out your team, that is his kind of his kind of role, at least as far as I see, especially on the Coyotes. It just, I mean, it, it seems like some of these contracts that they did do, like we were talking about Keller earlier. I I don't I'm not in love with that contract. I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's for a good amount of money and, and a long time, and I think OEL's contract is at least even better, and that and that's a pretty bloated contract itself. Yeah, look, I mean the the Keller contract. A lot of what John Chica has done that I like is most of the moves he's made, whether they've been signings or giving guys extensions or trades or whatever, they've been low risk. The, the the Keller contract is the first real risk I feel like he has taken. You know, oh, yeah. Ekman Larson makes more money, but they have to sign a number one defenseman, and he's been here forever. But but Keller's really the one. Yeah, he's yeah making, it makes sense. That one makes sense. Yeah. Well, Keller's going to make, what, almost $7.2 million starting next year for a long time. The other mm-hmm. guys that they, they went out and tried to sign that are younger, that they were like, we're building around this team— I mean, that's Christian Dvorak, who's not making that much. Nick Schmaltz, I guess, is a little bit of a risk, but he's at 5.9. Jacob Chikrin was the other one, and that's worked out amazingly so far. Yeah. So the the Keller one's the biggest risk, and that's why in a lot of ways you're making that much money. You have to be productive because if he isn't, you're not going to be able to trade that contract. And, and for the first time really in a long time, the Coyotes are going to be stuck with a bad contract. I don't think it'll be, I don't think it'll be that extreme, but they need him to be productive. you got to earn that contract, man. So the last topic we have for you is just a couple of prospects here, Barrett Hayden and Victor Soderstrom. Barrett Hayden, do you think he makes the do you think he's gonna be a mainstay next year and maybe just makes a club but stays with the club? Yeah, I, I think he'll be on the team next year. Um I, I it would other than injury, I'd be shocked if he wasn't on the team next year. I mean, they kept him around a good chunk of this year. He ended up playing in twenty games, but he was around the team for a lot more than that. 
you know, he was one of those guys, and every every team has one a couple every couple years where it's like he should be in the AHL, but the rules are that he can't go to the AHL, but he can't really accomplish any more in junior. So mm-hmm. this year they sent him to to Team Canada in the World Juniors, and he, he performed great, and uh, but he got hurt, and so that sort of maybe set back his development a little bit. But they're they're ready for him, and like I said before, I don't know that they're expecting him to step in as a true number one center. He played wing a lot this year, but their long term plans for him are to be a a top two center on this team. And I, like I said, I'd be shocked if he wasn't here next year. And then that is going to bring me to Victor Soderstrom. In my opinion, for fantasy, he doesn't have like the highest offensive upside, but he's probably the top prospect still in the system. And I've noticed that in 21-22, almost all of the decor is up as a UFA. Do you feel that kind of gives them reason to give him a little, give him some reps sooner rather than later? Yeah, they they really like his game. They were um they were surprised they were able to get him where they got him. They got him twelfth overall, I believe, last year, and, and they traded up to get him there. But they they didn't expect him to be there at twelve. So, um, he gets to play in Sweden this past season and picks up some more experience playing against you know full grown men in that league. He's certainly going to be a mainstay on this blue line, like you said in in this upcoming year. Everybody's pretty much back, but beyond that, you're really only looking at at Oliver Ekman Larson and Jacob Chikrin that are locks on that blue line uh, coming up in the 21-22 season. So he's somebody they're building around. He's not just like, oh, he's a prospect and we hope he plays. And same with Hayton. I mean, you, you mentioned not only are they their, their two top prospects, but they're they're sort of built around those guys. You could make a case specifically with Hayton, not to steer it back to him. You could make a case, though, that he's the most important player in this organization just in the sense that he's their best chance at having a true number one center, mm-hmm. which they've never really had. And Soderstrom has, certainly has an opportunity to, to be a top-pairing defenseman. So uh, next year, do you feel that's the ETA? For Soderstrom? Yeah. I, that's... <laughs> I believe he's going to be on on the Black Aces practicing with the team during okay. the, uh, the the playoffs here, so that maybe speeds things up a little bit. It wouldn't shock me next year, but I also I, I know that you know a couple months ago before everything changed, they were fine keeping him in the AHL next year, That's giving good. him that year of playing professional North American hockey and really bringing him in like like you said that year where everybody's a UFA on the blue line. I love that name, by the way, the Black Aces. It just sounds so cool. It's like a like a spy squad or something. <laughs> I don't know. It is. But anyway, that's all the questions we got for you, Luke. Thank you so much for your time tonight, man. I hope uh, I know it's a little earlier on your side of the country here, and I hope you have a good rest of the night. For sure. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Take care, Nick. All right, guys, that was hearing from Luke Lipinski. A lot of fun stuff on the Arizona Coyotes, man. So if you guys want to talk about the episode, you guys can find us in our Fantasy Hockey Discord. You guys can chirp us on Twitter at FHF Hockey. And I hope you guys have a good weekend. We got San Jose, Arizona, and no, not Arizona, Anaheim. And uh, Los Angeles still coming at you. So I'm not sure when we're going to put that episode out. It might be over the weekend, but I am uh, going to my dad's house this weekend. So I'm not sure when that one's going to get out. So bear with me. But uh, there's not, this is not like hockey breathing down our neck or anything right now. So uh, that's the way it goes. Until then, guys, we love you. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not.